I remembered to hit all my buttons this after this afternoon. <laughs> We're going to go back over to Daniel chapter nine. I know we didn't get very far last week. Um, Daniel chapter nine. We left off around verse 20 of chapter 9. <clears throat> we'll read a couple of verses there. Um, starting in Daniel chapter 9. Do y'all want to read around tonight? Do you want to read around? Okay. Read... Uh, uh, Joe, if you'll read verses 20 through 23, and then... And while, while I was speaking and praying and confessing the sins and the sins of my people, Israel, and presented my supplications before the Lord God for the holy mountain of my God. Yea, while I was speaking in prayer, even the man Gabriel, whom I had seen in the vision at the beginning, be, being caused to fly swiftly, touched me about the time of the evening oblation, and then warned me and talked with me and said, Daniel, I have now come forth to give thee the skills and understanding. At the beginning of thy supplications and the commandments come forth, and I come to shew thee, for thou art great beloved. Therefore, understand the matter and consider the vision. Okay. So here we have read these first couple verses and. Towards the end of uh, Daniel's prayer, there uh, regarding uh, confessing and, and praying for not only for himself but on behalf of the Lord's people, there um, his burden for their sin and captivity um, to be removed from them uh, to return to their land, and then we see um, through these. Half, about halfway through these verses we read into, into 21, Gabriel, a uh, messenger, appears and comes to talk with Daniel regarding uh, answering his, his prayer there. So it seems that this um, difficulty that Israel had faced was, uh, of course, again, as a result of their own uh, sins and iniquities that they had uh, committed against God. Let's look at Psalm 80. Let's look at the 80th Psalm. I'll read just a few verses there, verses 15 through 19. Uh, it says, And the vineyard which thy right hand hath planted, and the branch that thou made is strong for thyself, it is burned with fire, it is cut down, they perish at the rebuke of thy countenance. Let thy hand be upon the man of thy right hand and upon the son of whom thou madest strong for thyself. 
So will not we, uh, we go back from thee and quicken us, and we will call upon thy name. Turn us again, O Lord God of hosts, and cause thy face to shine, and we will be saved. We shall be saved, rather. So, similar to what we've been reading about the nation of Israel and their captivity, he says, he planted them and he established them and strengthened them for his service. But, what happened? Because they didn't follow the the teachings and precepts the Lord has put forward, He caused them to be burned up at His rebuke. So they were they were handed down judgment for a time. Then He goes on there and He says, "Let thine hand be upon the man of thy right hand and upon the son of man in whom thou madest strong for thyself." So will we not go? Uh, not we go back from thee. Quicken us and we will call upon thy name. So, strengthen them. Turn us again. Cause thy face to shine upon us. It's kind of extolling the, 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 the difficulties that they had faced for their sins. And begging the Lord to return to them. Any questions or comments so far? Anything? Let's turn back over to Daniel chapter 9. He says there, And he informed me and talked to me and said, O Daniel, I am now come forth to give thee skill and understanding. Well, we understand that that skill and understanding comes from the from the Lord, not not from our own understanding. We know this by by virtue of reading uh, the Song of Solomon's and the Proverbs. It's the Lord that gives the wisdom to us, and then we can use it skillfully in our service for Him. So here we see this very uh, very messenger here deliver some information to Daniel regarding regarding his understanding of, of what's going to happen. Um, we'll read down through uh, verse 24 through 27. Tony, do you want, do you feel like reading it out? Okay. okay. Seventy weeks are determined upon the, thy people and upon thy holy city to finish the transgression and to make an end of sins and to make reconciliation for iniquity and to bring in everlasting righteousness to seal up the vision and and to anoint the most holy. Know therefore and understand that from going forth of the commandment to restore and to build Jerusalem unto the Messiah, the prince shall be seven weeks, and threescore and two weeks the street shall be built again, and the wall even in troublous times. Um, yeah. And after threescore and two weeks shall Messiah be cut off, but not for himself. And the people of the prince that shall come shall destroy the city, and the sanctuary and the end thereof shall be with the food, and the end of the war of desolations are determined. And he shall confirm the covenant with many for one week, and in the midst of the week he shall cause the sacrifice and the oblation to cease. And for the overspreading abominations he shall make it desolate, even till the consumption, consummation, and that determined shall be poured upon the desolate. Okay. 
So here we see um, the Lord kind of talks in terms there of what? Of seven, of number 70. Um, I'm trying to think of what the number seven was. It was I think it was the number of divine completion. Uh, if you're interested in that sort of thing. I know the Lord uses numbers and sometimes that supersedes my ability to comprehend it. So uh, I apologize if I miss anything that stands out. But this 70 weeks that he mentions here seems to be in order with the number of years instead of weeks. I know he says weeks there, but it's typically a number of years. 70 years to fulfill their captivity is one of the things he mentions there. Uh, he says, uh, as Brother Tony read there in verse 4, he says, 70 year, weeks were determined unto thy people and unto thy holy city to finish the transgression and to make an end of sins and to make reconciliation for iniquity and to bring everlasting righteousness and to seal up the vision and prophecies and to anoint the most holy. So we know that this is, in particular, uh, he's speaking about the, the, the fulfillment of their captivity. Uh, as a result, they, we know that this was as a result of their uh, worship of other gods and of upon not heeding the, the words of the Lord and what he had commanded them to do. Um, they paid for their grumblings and their, and their sins before the Lord. Let's look at Numbers chapter 14. In regards to the Lord executing punishment for, for disobedience, this is a good example as the people of, of, of Israel entered into Canaan. So Numbers 14, verses 34 through 45. <clears throat> it says, And the number of the days in which ye search the land, even forty days, and each day for a year, shall ye bear your iniquities, and even forty years, and ye shall know the breach of my promise. So as a result of them, for the forty days they searched out the land and come back and made these grumblings, guess what? The Lord says, all right, for each one of these days that you went and searched out the land, you're going to pay for your for your iniquity before, before me. He says, and you shall know my breach of promise there at the end of 34. I, 35 says, I know the Lord has said, I will surely do it unto all this evil congregation that are gathered together against me in the wilderness, that they be consumed and that there, there they shall die. And the men which Moses sent to search the land, who returned and made all the congregation to murmur against him by bringing up slander upon the land, even those men that did bring up the evil report upon the Lord died by the plague before the Lord. But Joshua the son of Nun and Caleb the son of Jephthah, which were at, uh, of the men that went to search the land, lived, lived still. And Moses told these, saying, Unto all the children of Israel, and the people mourned greatly. And they rose up early in the morning, and got themselves to the top of the mountain, saying, Lo, we be here, and will go up unto the place with which God hath promised, for we have sinned. And God said, Wherefore, now do ye transgress the commandment of the Lord? But it shall not prosper. Go not up from the Lord is not among you, but ye be not spitting before the enemies. For the Amalekites and the Canaanites are before you, and you shall fall by the sword, because ye have turned away from the Lord. Therefore the Lord will not be with you. 
But they presumed to go up onto the hilltop. Nevertheless, the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord and Moses departed not out of the camp. Then the Amalekites came down and the Canaanites, which dwelt on the uh, the hill, and smote them and, and discomfited them, even unto Hormah. So we see here the result of their murmurings before entering the land of Canaan. Like these people are too big and this land is too great for us to go ahead and conquer. They'll kill us. They're they're mighty men. And forgetting exactly what the Lord the Lord their God had done to them to get them out of Egypt. He caused the pillar the pillar by night and the clouds by day to help them in their journey. He also provided them water and manna. And what happened? They murmured along the way. They wanted they wanted meat. They wanted they they didn't think the Lord could provide for them what they needed. But yet if they would have just quit murmuring and just listened to what the Lord would have would have provided everything they needed for them. But as a result of this, what happened? They murmured. These spies didn't like what they saw and they said these people are too great for us to conquer. Surely we'll we'll die. And the Lord told them what? He says, because of this, you're gonna will you're gonna wander in the wilderness for forty years, and all you people that have murmured against me and have not done what I've said and slandered what I've what I've told you about this land, you're all gonna die. You're not gonna see the promised land. And out of all those spies, how many made it made it through? Two. Most of them were all under the age of, what, 40 at that particular time. So to consider how many people fell before they reached the promised land, it's a pretty good number. So, failing to, to, to follow after what the Lord tells us to do uh, results, in, results in us having our own troubles and the Lord's not going to be there to provide for us. So then they go on and he says, you're not going to enter the promised land for this 40 years. And he says, we're going to go up on this hill and we're going to see this country. And he says, don't go up there. The Lord's not going to be with you. Ah, we're going to go up there and do this anyways. And guess what happens? They were, they were killed and beaten off and chased off. He said, he he said, they smote them and discomfited them even to Horma. So they ran them off. Look at Ezekiel chapter 3. Ezekiel chapter 3. Verse 19 through 27 is what we'll read. Joe, do you want to read some more? Well, I probably can. I'm not asleep yet. <laughs> okay. This might help keep you awake. Chapter 3, verse 19. Verse, uh, if you'll read verse 19 through, let's say, 20, 21. Okay. Yet if thou warn the wicked, and he turned not from the wickedness, nor from his wicked way, he shall die in his iniquity. But thou hast delivered thy soul. 
Again, when a righteous man doeth turn from his righteousness and committeth equity, and I lay a stumbling block before him, he shall die. Because thou hast not given him warning, he shall die in his sins, and his righteousness which he has done shall not be remembered. But his blood will I require at thy hand. Nevertheless, if thou warn the righteous man that the righteous sin not, and he do not sin, he shall surely live, because he is warned. Also thou hast delivered thy soul. So, a few things there that you, that you see in these particular verses is that he says there, yet if thou warn the wicked and he turn not from his ways, he shall die in his iniquity. Isn't that what happened over there in that account we just read over in uh, Numbers? Same thing there that happened with the, with the Israelites. The Lord warned them multiple times that they were going to be they could be carried away into captivity if they didn't uh, follow after the statutes and teachings and commands of the Lord. But yet they still continued to do it. King after king that they had there, of course we know the northern kingdom was destroyed utterly and all of them were carried away into captivity. But the southern kingdom still flirted with with that, but they had some good kings and you know and some bad kings, but it wasn't the king's total, totally the king's responsibility, but he was the figurehead of the nation. And what he did and what he said had an effect on the people. So you would think if the Lord warned them about this, they would probably pay attention, but they didn't. You do a little good and then they do a little bad. But here you see this particular thing. He says, if, if you warn the righteous, he says, again, when the righteous man doth turn from his righteousness and commit iniquity, and I lay a stumbling block before him, he shall die. Because thou hast not given him warning, and he shall die in his sin, and his righteousness with which he hath done shall not be remembered, but his blood will I require at thy hand. Who's he talking to? He's talking to those responsible, right? Those in leadership, it seems. The priests were responsible for teaching the people and for showing them the way that they should walk. Let's read down a little further. Tony, do you want to read 24 through 26? Then the Spirit entered into me and set me upon my feet and spake with me and said unto me, Go, shut thyself within thine house. But thou, O son of man, behold, they shall put bands upon thee and shall bind thee with them, and thou shalt not go out among them. And I will make thy tongue cleave to the roof of thy mouth, that thou shalt be dumb, and thou shalt not, and thou shalt not be to them but a for they are a rebellious house. But when I speak with thee, I will open thy mouth, and thou shalt say unto them, Thus saith the Lord God, He that heareth, let him hear, and he that forbeareth, let him forbear, for they are a rebellious house. So, Ezekiel can only do what the Lord told him to do, right? He says, I'll, 
He says, I'm going to cleave the, your, stick your tongue to the roof of your mouth. You can't speak unless I tell you to. And what did he say there? He goes on to say that they would be, he would be bound up. Those people weren't going to hear what he was going to have to say, were they? <laughs> they were, most of the time, those prophets like that, they would rather bind them up and throw them in prison or beat them than listen to what they had to say. The Lord said, nevertheless, you're going to, they're not going to hear what you got to say because they're a rebellious people. But when I speak with thee, I will open thy mouth. So he says, it's not going to do you any good to tell them about it. He says, but when I when I tell you to speak, you speak. And he says, thus saith the Lord. That means we better listen right there. He that heareth, let him hear. And he that forbeareth, let him forbear. For they are a rebellious house. So you better listen. Let him forbear. What does it mean to forbear? It means to be, forbearance means what? A delay, delaying of something. Dealing, a delay in dealing with something. So they were at the point where they were, they were ready to be carried off into captivity, weren't they? And all Ezekiel could do was but speak what the Lord would have him to because they weren't going to hear it but he had to say it lest something would happen to the ones that were righteous and then they died in their sin. So what does that tell us about our service to the Lord? I think we should probably say what the Lord would have us to say so that those around us should have an opportunity. If not, their blood's on our hands. Go back over to uh, Daniel. So it seems that there's three times that he's he's talking about here. He talks about the fulfillment of their captivity. Then he talks about the time of their rebuild, the rebuilding of the temple and of the city after it's laid desolate. And then he talks about the time of the Messiah. I don't think that most of us have to go through all that all extensively because we kind of understand what he's talking about there. These times had to be fulfilled in accordance with prophecy there. But he talks about the princes. And over in chapter 10, as we get over into chapter 10, there's a little more about that. Um, but he talks about the princes. He says, <clears throat> let's read... Uh, we read those verses there. <clears throat> Verse 24 said, 70 weeks are determined unto thy people and unto the holy city to finish the transgression and make an end of the sins, to make reconciliation for iniquity, and to bring everlasting righteousness and seal of the vision and prophecy and to anoint the Most High. So fulfilling that time that Israel is uh, reconciling with the Lord after their uh, iniquity and realizing their sin. He says, then he goes on and says, the command to restore and build Jerusalem unto the, Messiah, uh, unto the Messiah the Prince shall be seven weeks and three score and two weeks. So that's essentially 69 weeks. And the street shall be built again and the wall 
even in troublesome, troublous times. So rebuilding all of all of that, excuse me, <clears throat> the rebuilding of all of that, and then you have what? There he says, and after three score and two weeks shall the Messiah be cut off, but not for himself, that the people of the prince that shall come shall destroy the city and the sanctuary and the end thereof shall be a flood, and unto the end the war desolations are determined. He's talking about some people uh, say that this is end times prophecy, but it seems to be very uh, in line with the uh, Roman uh, raising of Jerusalem and the conquest with which what they said was one of the bloodiest things that they'd ever that they'd ever seen there. They said uh, buildings were burned, and they said blood ran through the streets because it was so bad. They encircled them and besieged them and cut them off. They didn't allow any food or water or anything. They they couldn't. The people essentially starved, but they didn't starve. They died by the sword. So let's look at Luke chapter nineteen. Luke chapter 19, verse 41 through 44. He says, And when he has come near, he beheld the city and wept over it, saying, If thou hast known even thou, at least in this thy day, the things which belongeth unto thy peace, but now they are hid from thine eyes. For the days shall come upon thee that thine enemies shall cast a trench about thee and compass thee around and keep thee on every side and shall lay thee even with the ground and thy children within thee and they shall not leave in thee one stone upon another because they knewest not the time of thy visitation. And he went into the temple and began to cast out them that sold therein and them that bought. So here we have Jesus Weeping over the city. Why? Because he knew that they hadn't heeded the words of the Lord and the prophecy which had been spoken before, nor his teachings, nor the precepts which he brought before these fellow countrymen here. And he realized that their destruction was coming upon them. You know, I think I often think about this that. Just because he knew what was going to happen didn't mean it was any less, uh, less, I guess for lack of a better word, depressing or sad to think that, you know, you have this opportunity right in front of you and you can't see it despite your hand in front of your face. They had hardened their hearts and they had placed their trust in men rather than in, in, in God. And that was the ultimate thing for Jesus to see. It would, appear, it would appear to me just through studying here that Jesus' weeping wasn't because, it was because he mourned that they didn't take the opportunity that was given to him right then. Had they done that, the outcome would have been very, very different, don't you think? Absolutely would have been different. Let's look at Mark chapter 9. Mark chapter 9. 
verses 8 through 13 is what we'll read. He says, And suddenly when they had looked round about, that they saw no man anymore, save Jesus only with themselves. And as they came down from the mountain, he charged them that they should tell no man the things which they had seen, until the Son of Man were risen from the dead. And they kept the saying with themselves, questioning one another what the rising from the dead should mean. And they asked him, saying, Why why say the scribes that Elias must first come? And he answered and told them, Elias verily cometh first and restore all things, and how it is written of the Son of Man that he must suffer many things and be said at naught. But I say unto you, that Elias is indeed come, and they have done unto him whatsoever they listed, as it is written of him. So, after the Mount of Transfiguration, the disciples were coming back with Jesus, and he says, tell no one about this until after I'm, until after I'm, I'm gone. I've risen from the dead. And they asked what that meant about Elias. And then he tells them. He says, Elias comes to restore. That's what Jesus was come to do. He was come to restore the people. But as the prophecy read that he that he spoke there, he says, It is written of the Son of Man that he must suffer many things and be said it not. That's what we read over in Daniel. Said it not. Zero. Nothing. But I say unto you that Elias indeed come, and they have done unto him whatsoever they listed, and it is as it is written of him. So they accomplished what they wanted to. And they thought they had the last they thought they had the last word, but guess what? They failed to recognize the prophecy there and for what it was. That Jesus was the one that had the last the last word. And that he knew it had to be fulfilled in order for him to bring salvation to those who would have it. The scripture over there talks about the remnant and the things made available to the remnant that that would survive that. Israel thought at that point they had it in a bag. Just because they were born Jew that salvation was given to them already. They had the opportunity right there in front of them. They still do. But what's the expectation? They accept Christ as the Messiah. So what Daniel was hearing here was not only the present problem that they were facing, but future. And then which we won't get to today because we've ran out of We've almost pretty much run out of time for the day to cover anything else. But as we get into the next thing, we'll see another vision regarding this and some things that we'll cover. It speaks more about these princes that we talked about and the the difficulties. I've always listened to uh, Brother Gary Smith talk on this a little bit. And his is far more interesting than mine is. So, (laughs) you know... Uh, Brother Gary's a very studied scholar in, in the Word, and, and I appreciate a lot of his his uh, study there regarding that. And there's some other brethren, too, that have good insight into these Scripture. Uh, so I, 
I can't hold a candle to that. But the Lord can provide the understanding where it's needed. So any questions or comments regarding what we've read and what we've studied so far? Probably should think about where we want to go after this because we've only got about two chapters left. So maybe 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 two weeks left <laughs> in Daniel. If not, any questions or 